0: I had just turned 25 when my grandmother was hospitalized. She lived in Martinez, Georgia, and I lived in Asheville, North Carolina at the time. I had just been to visit with her a month before her health took a sharp decline. During my visit with her, we talked and walked by the lake, even took a picnic lunch up by Clarks Hill Dam. Everything seemed fine, including her health of course she moved a bit slower and more of her conversations started with do you remember when but i thought that was just part of getting older she got out less did less and so naturally she would talk more about things that had already happened it was a shock when my father called and told me that she had been hospitalized he and my mother lived in Oklahoma at the time and were on a routine visit with her when she had a stroke, which left her unable to speak properly and had paralyzed most of her right side. I dropped everything and rushed back to Georgia, scared I would lose my grandmother before I got to see her again. As soon as I got there, I knew something was seriously wrong with Grandma. She'd had a stroke, but It was something more, as if a fundamental part of her had changed. Upon questioning, her doctor told me it was normal after a stroke, especially at her age, for family members to note drastic character changes. But I couldn't believe a stroke could change even the color of her eyes. Her eyes had always been blue, and now they were a piercing green. No one had an answer for that and what had once been a soft, wrinkled, kind face was hard and hateful as she glared at everyone in silence. I told Dad to go get some rest and I would stay with Grandma. He agreed and left to join Mom back at the hotel. When we were alone, Grandma's expression changed and she mumbled for me to sit on her bed. I was shocked but happy. She could speak clearly enough for me to understand. And maybe there was hope she would recover and we could take her home soon, despite what the doctor thought. She smiled up at me, but only the left side of her mouth curled. The right remained drooped, a waxen half mask frozen in places as if that side of her face were already dead. In a way, I guess. That was about right. Her white hair corkscrewed out in all directions. And I'd never seen her without her hair perfectly in place. And well, it made my heart ache. She looked tiny, fragile, and just helpless laying there. At first, she mumbled something that sounded as if it were in a different language. I told her I didn't understand and started apologizing. Say, I would get one of the nurses to help me. But her left hand shot out and wrapped around my wrist. Now, I had no trouble understanding she didn't want the nurses in the room. Her words turned back to familiar English, though the syllables sometimes overlapped, mushing the words together. It was like listening to a seriously drunk person talk. Well... It wasn't long before she started babbling about a body weaver and how he had given her a weak body this time around and she would get a better one next time. She seemed to be talking more to herself than me by then and I, well, hell, I was confused and scared. We had never been a religious family, but I had also never heard talk about reincarnation of any sort and that's what she said she was talking about. I was sure of it. A nurse entered without warning, carrying a small tray and two syringes. Her smile was broad and genuine, and I felt better just knowing that she was in there with us. If Grandma's babbling didn't upset the nurse, I could relax. Or, at least I thought. The gold crucifix around the nurse's neck swayed, catching the light from the window as she passed around the bed to the IV line. She greeted me briefly and then turned her attention to Grandma, explaining what she was doing. Grandma gasped and tried to recoil as the nurse picked up the IV line. I saw her gaze on the crucifix. Her eyes seemed to sink a bit farther into her skull, and her cheeks grew paler, more hollowed and her mouth parted limply. The nurse assured me it was only the medication making my grandmother sleepy, and all would be well And she left. Grandma immediately asked me to help her out of there, to get her away from the nurse before they killed her. I thought it was more confused ramblings and assured her that they were only trying to make her better so that we could take her home. And, uh, she died two days later. I was crushed. Life would never be the same without her. And I had a really hard time returning to my life back in North Carolina after the funeral. A few weeks later, our small family all gathered for the reading of her will. My parents seemed fine, but looked as if they had gotten over her death with ease. the same could be said of my dad's brother and his two kids. In fact, I, I think I was the only one who seemed to be still affected. I retreated to a corner of the room and sat with my sad reflections on how much I loved my grandmother, while the others chatted brightly and caught up on each other's lives. In her will, Grandma left me her house and property. She left her quaint savings to her sons for them to split equally, and that was it. The reading of the will had been a very short event, and it left her sons and other two grandchildren very upset. I'd been given the lion's share of her belongings for whatever reason, and now the family was pissed at me for it. They didn't outright say anything, but... It was there in their scathing looks and forced congeniality towards me as they parted ways, leaving me alone. About a month later, I moved into the house, my grandmother's house. I'd always loved the place and saw no reason to leave it abandoned. The daunting task of going through her things, sorting what could be kept and which should be removed, loomed large over me. You've heard of living in a tiny house, I'm sure. What I found out about my grandmother as I started going through rooms was that she lived, tiny, in a large house. Most of her living had been done in her bedroom, the living room, and the kitchen. The bedroom where I stayed when I visited was full of my childhood belongings, and still looked as if it belonged to a 15-year-old boy. I'd never had reason to go rambling through the rest of the rooms, but now I did, and they were Spartan at best. The basement had a few household items stored in it, and it housed the water heater and furnace with little else. I'm glad because it was a dark, earthy structure in which I was very uncomfortable in My skin prickled and tingled as if eyes were on me, watching me from every shadowy corner, ready to pounce if I let my guard down. The items in the attic had been placed neatly in rows and access was easy. I had been in the attic when I was a child to help her take out Christmas decorations a couple of times, but it was usually hot and held little interest for me. Now though, That interest was piqued, and with Grandma gone, I was eager to filter through her belongings to feel close to her again. The dormer windows let in enough light to eliminate the need for overhead bulbs during the day. And as I walked through, tiny storms of dust particles danced in the slanting shafts of midday light. A delicate blanket of dust had covered every item, and the cobwebs fluttered gently from edges of my wake. It was a a surreal scene. Tangible moments of life well lived, frozen in time. A wooden rocking horse, handmade, paint worn from the handles and sides of the saddle stared at me with one large painted on eye. A Victorian pram sat a little farther away, a rust eating away at a metal undercarriage and pushbar. A German beer stein stood proudly in the center of a small round end table, with Berlin scrawled across its middle in big, bold, gothic print, a quarter full of dust. And a large, antique steamer trunk caught my eye. The brass claps, tarnished by age, gleam like half-closed cat eyes in the shadow under the window. I knelt in front of the trunk and ran my hand over its top. Hardly any dust stuck to my hand. I wondered, had my grandmother used it frequently or had she perhaps recently put some fragment of her life inside and stored it up there while well, the clasps unlatched easily? The hinges gave one barely audible squeak and then it was open, revealing its treasures to me. Two stacks of journals, bound in leather and comparable in size, covered the left side. An ornate black wooden chest, seemingly as ancient as the pyramids, took up the right side. Journals were interesting, yeah, but I mean, (laughs) come on, who wouldn't ignore them and go for the chest? The symbols engraved into its surface were foreign to me, but added a magical quality to it. I removed the chest, closed the lid of the steamer, and placed the smaller box on top of it. In the sunlight, the wood seemed to be endlessly deep. Some trick of light against the shiny coating, I thought, intriguing, and I ran my fingers over the top, feeling the indentations of the symbols tracing one. I could have sworn the surface rippled like water. Jerking back my finger, I stared hard at the box. Nothing happened. Scoffing, I shook my head and lifted its lid. Colors sparked up from the box, twinkling brightly and causing me to gasp as I moved back. The sunlight shot prisms of constantly changing colors into the air above the chest. Fragile crystals in every shape imaginable were packed into that chest. At first, I thought there were huge diamonds. And then common sense took over. No way my grandmother would leave a chest full of diamonds just sitting in her attic, turning the container so the sunlight would fall directly into it. I picked up one of the crystals. It was light, delicate feeling in my hand, and I handled it with great care as I stood and moved closer to the window pane. With the transparent stone between thumb and forefinger, I held it up to the light and saw what looked to be a strip of half-folded paper or fabric suspended in its center. I shook it, and the strip inside winnowed as if in liquid. I picked up another crystal, held it up, and saw it also contained a filament of paper. There were hundreds of the tiny transparent gems, and it seemed each one held a secret. Studying one closely, I could just make out the writing on the paper within. Curiosity got the better of me, and I took it downstairs. In the kitchen, I rifled through the junk drawer until I found what Grandma had called a lady's hammer which she used only to hang pictures. It was a miniature version of a regular hammer, but I thought it was big enough to do what I needed. And so, placing the crystal on a towel, and that on the counter by the sink, I raised the hammer, and then lowered it. Guiltily, I looked over my shoulder, to my right and then to my left. It felt wrong to break anything of Grandma's. I'm sorry, Grandma, I whispered and brought the hammer down. The crystal fell away into three pieces, and a hiss of air escaped but no liquid. I pushed the broken chunks away and lifted the paper strip. It felt and looked like parchment, as I pulled it flat and focused on the writing. John Edward Withers I read the name aloud again, John Edward Rithers, wondering who the hell he was and why his name had been placed inside a crystal. The day had moved along fast. The sun had passed the mid-heaven point long ago, and I was starving. I slipped the parchment into my pocket, picked up my keys, and headed to town for a burger. I bumped into a childhood friend while in town. And we talked for a few hours i didn't tell him about the crystals though it was still heavily on my mind and i was really dying to ask someone if they knew what it meant was grandma into some weird religion or maybe even witchcraft i doubted it more likely it was some sort of parlor trick maybe someone in her family had handed the chest and its contents down to her and she merely kept them That evening, I sat in the living room watching the local news when the anchor reported that John Edward Withers, 37 years old, of Martinez, Georgia, had died in a tragic accident as he drove by a construction site earlier in the day. A concrete pillar had fallen without warning and crushed his car. My heart skipped a few beats and I broke into a cold sweat as I retrieved the paper from my pocket. John Edward Withers. It had to be a coincidence, I mean. What else could it be? To prove it to myself, I went back to the attic and took another crystal. The name inside it was Susie Bell Plemons. <laughs> I laughed. There would be little chance of that name coming up often enough to be called Common. The next morning, I turned on the news and listened for the woman's name as I made coffee. Just before the news ended for the morning, the name cropped up, sending waves of heat and cold through my body. Susie Bell Plemons, age 67 in Martinez, Georgia, had wandered out of her home in the middle of the night and had been struck by a van. She had died instantly. I was horrified. I headed back to the attic and stood staring down at the black chest with its intricate and foreign symbols. I snatched it from the top of the trunk, opening the steamer lid. I pushed the box back to its original placement and slammed the lid shut again. I would leave it there and never touch it again. I stalked toward the stairs, but I stopped. How could the crystals or the papers with names on them kill anybody? Had I lost my ever-loving mind? Well, I turned to look at the steamer, and it seemed to look back at me with its heavy-lidded cat eyes gleaming dully. I walked back and opened the lid once more, eyeing the two stacks of journals. I took the two on top and went back downstairs. If there was anything to the crystals, maybe, just maybe, it would be explained in the books. The first one I opened was dated only three months before. That would have been about a month before my grandmother died. It had been penned in her neat handwriting. The first page read, Aurora Maria Sanchez. Twelve. The next page contained only a name and number also, and the pattern followed through half the journal. A name, followed by a number that I could only assume was representative of the person's age. The second half of the journal dated much earlier in the year. was filled with maniacal ramblings about the body weaver, and how he wouldn't promise her another body without more collected souls. It was a dark story, I mean, surely fabricated from a diseased mind about an underworld that coexisted with our reality and was littered with mythical creatures fashioned of fire and stone and pure energy. She had signed each separate entry with her name, Liliana Marsh. It pains me and fascinated me to read her twisted tales. She had created an entire world, an entire mythos, surrounding the idea that she was a demonic soul collector whose work was never quite finished, never quite up to the standards of her overlord, her enslaver, her uh, master. So I ran back to the steamer and hefted all the journals, searching for the oldest. It was, as I had imagined, on the bottom, and what I hadn't expected was the date on the inside of the cover 1681 it was in the same format as the others first half contained names and ages second half contained pages filled with the same neat handwriting it was an origin story her origin story to be exact but written in the dialect of the time She had been summoned from the mid-rank of demons and promoted to soul collector status. That gave her the means to attain a human body which would live 80 years. She would be able to live a mostly normal human life. She said that's what all demons aspire to. As long as she kept up the influx of souls for the master, she would be sent back to do it all over again. Infinite reincarnations. She had signed these pages with the name Lilith Montrose. In further writings, she detailed how she harvested the souls to ensure her return to Earth after her current reincarnation. She described brutal murders that turned my stomach. I couldn't imagine these tainted thoughts running through Grandma's mind. The worst was a detailed confession of how she murdered her own husband and one of her children. If the name be held in crystal, the death must be swift, she had written. It makes my human heart sad, but I shall never return willingly to the underbelly of the universe, where all is dark and torment is constant. I researched a few of the names from the more recent journals, and every one of them Had died in tragic accidents. The rest had been filed as missing persons and had never been found. I stuffed the journals back into the steamer and slammed the lid, flipping the latches closed and walked away. I didn't know what to do with it all. Keep it hidden and unharmed up in the attic forever? Bury it deep in the woods and hope it was never found? Set it out with the trash and, well, damn the consequences. Uh, I don't know. Burn it. I was pacing in the living room. I worried and pondered the question. Lilith Montrose. Louise Monroe. Lou Ellen Moore. Liliana Marsh. All names she had signed in the journals. All in different eras of history. I tried to brush all the stories off as simply stories. She had been an aspiring writer, keeping her talent hidden for all these years, but it didn't gel. And if she had been mad her whole life, someone would have noticed. There's no way around that. The only conclusion was that she had filled her journals with truths, Truths so outlandish and horrible that nobody would have believed them. I wouldn't have, if I hadn't broken the two crystals and seen the result for myself. Foregoing my nightly two beers, I took a bottle of Jack to the porch with me and watched the stars. Half the bottle later, warm and sleepy, I made my way upstairs to the room and fell into bed the world spinning a little faster than it should, and I hoped for sleep to claim me quickly. Just as I started to cross into the empty abyss of sleep, a thought jolted me wide awake. What if my name was in one of those damp crystals? Vowing to keep the box and steamer safe from all harm, I lived with that thought for years, never returning to the attic. I couldn't risk any more of the stones being broken. I knew what happened if a person's name was released from its prison, and there was no way to tell if my name was among the scores of others. Three years have passed, and I am engaged to a girl of my dreams. The box of crystals in the attic has never left my mind. Now I have to go check on them, just to make sure they're still all intact, and to find another safe place to keep the steamer hidden away. Kylie will move into the house with me after our wedding, and she already has plans of making an art studio in the attic. So, last week I went up there and opened the steamer, pulled out the chest, and placed it on top of the lid as I had all those years ago. Timidly, I touched the black lid, raising it only an inch to peer inside. The mound of crystals was still there, opening the lid all the way. My heart dropped. The center was sunken, and exposed paper strips stuck up from the glittering dust. Palm sweating, I took a strip of paper and read the name. Tony Evan Whist. He had died in a building collapse nearly six months earlier. The news had run several stories on the incident. It was still happening. Even without human interference, it was. it was all still happening. Soul collecting, set on autopilot. I didn't have the fortitude to look at all the other exposed names. All I can do now is wait and hope mine or Kylie's names aren't in any of the crystals."